Poetry On Air with Sheboygan Poet Laureate Lisa Vijos. I'm Lisa Vijos, and this is Poetry on Air. This is a program in which we explore the meaning and inspiration and healing that poetry can bring, and we do it with guests. And our guest today is my dear friend, Nanette Bulabash. Welcome, Nanette. Hi, Lisa. It's so wonderful to be here. Congratulations it's- on this show. I think it's it's terrific. I'm excited, and I'm excited to have you here today. Nanette is um, a teacher and former librarian. She's a community volunteer, an actor, and she's a, a great fan of poetry. Yes. And she's, yes, and she's brought several poems with her today. And what we're going to do is, is um, have her read them one at a time and, and talk about them a little. And I may jump in and, and share some poems in response. So we'll kind of have a conversation between the poems and um, why don't we just do you want to introduce the first poem or do you want to just jump in and read it I'll briefly introduce it it's uh, it's called a new national anthem uh, that title seems so um, perfect for these times doesn't it it does and the subject matter it does as well the poet the writer is Ada Limon I'm not very familiar with her I've been reading a little bit uh, but this poem just grabbed me and I think when you hear it you'll understand why All right, let's hear it. Okay. A New National Anthem. The truth is, I've never cared for the national anthem. If you think about it, it's not a good song. Too high for most of us with the rocket's red glare. And then there are the bombs. Always, always there's war and bombs. Once I sang it at homecoming and threw even the tenacious high school band off key. But the song didn't mean anything, just a call to the field, something to get through before the pummeling of youth. And what of the stanzas we never sing, the third that mentions no refuge could save the hireling and the slave? Perhaps, the truth is, every song of this country has an unsung third stanza, something brutal snaking beneath us as we blindly sing the high notes with a beer sloshing in the stands, hoping our team wins. Don't get me wrong, I do like the flag, how it undulates in the wind like water, elemental, and best when it's humbled, brought to its knees, clung to by someone who has lost everything, when it's not a weapon, when it flickers, when it folds up so perfectly you can keep it until it's needed, until you can love it again, until the song in your mouth feels like sustenance, a song where the notes are sung by even the ageless woods, the short grass plains, the red river gorge, the fistful of land left unpoisoned, that song that's our birthright, that's sung in silence, when it's too hard to go on, that sounds like someone's rough fingers weaving into another's, that sounds like a match being lit in an endless cave, the song that says my bones are your bones and your bones are my bones, and isn't that enough? Wow. Yeah, wow. It's quite a poem. It's quite a poem. Yeah, and, and you read it wonderfully. Well, thank you. Yes, you read it 
you read it with a lot of of feeling and that really added and the rhythm of the poem as it kind of rolls on at you you know she it's so interesting how in the middle of the poem you know she says don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. I do like the flag that conversational style it has a conversational style so so for you right now what you said you know this poem really drew me right Mm -hmm. now what would you what what is it about it for you? Well, because it incorporates all the things I love about poetry when it speaks to me, um, yeah. the the rhythm, yeah, the sounds, the very, and, and when I read your poems, Lisa, that the very um, deliberate choice of words. Mm. That's what takes mm-hmm. so long, right? You got to find the right word that matches exactly the feeling you want to convey. So the expression, the wonderful use of language, the imagery. Um, and overriding all the best poetry ever is empathy. Yeah. This this particular writer, again, I don't know much about her, but I did read in an interview that she, uh, you know, she said just like prayer, you could you could summarize prayer into two different kinds: please and thank you. Mm. All prayers have those kind of elements, and yes. she says that's sort of what she shoots for in her poetry. That's what please or thank you and me too. Yeah. That empathy, yeah. that's what this song, I mean, we all, I mean, come on, let's face it. The Star Spangled Banner is too high for any of us to it's sing. It's hard to sing. <laughs> Except for, you know, the poets, yeah. the, the ones we hear at the Super Bowl, but they've practiced, they're professionals. Yeah. Most of us can't. Yeah. And so we all laugh about that and we try and we joke about it. Yeah. So right away that empathy. And then she goes into the flag. And of course, it's the perfect time with the new administration in our country um, to talk about the flag, we all have our own feelings about it. And at one point, she talks about she she loves it when it's not a weapon, mm. or when it's clung to by someone who has lost everything. Yeah. And of course, that makes me think of January sixth. I don't want to get into politics here, but that was a devastating day. It of course, I can't help it. It was a devastating yeah. day for for this country when you saw these people carrying these flags. They really believe themselves to be fighting for a cause higher than them. But of course they use violence, which is not good. It was hard to see. It was hard to see the flag in that, in that context for me too. And, uh, I do think that's what makes, yeah, like you're right. The poem, it's, it's very, I don't know when she wrote the poem, but it's, it's very timely at this Mm -hmm. moment. And I can see why, where it jumped out at you. Absolutely. Um, You also shared with me a poem that you wanted to, that you brought along with you, I think today, um, by the poet Adrian Rich. Yes. And speaking of prayer, this this poem had has a quality of prayer very it much so. Does. Um, so, you know, let's let's actually thank you for that first poem. Thank you. And let's read the second okay. poem too, and let's see it let's will. see where that one takes us. In this I was journey. looking for optimistic poems, mm-hmm. and perhaps of the four that I have today, this one. <laughs> You could have to, you really have to struggle to make a case for it being optimism, but you can because it's, it's so, it's empathy. Again, mm. it's solace. It's how she hoped, what Adrian Rich hoped with her poems was she wanted people to feel, I hear you. Uh, I see you. Yeah. I get you. Somebody, somebody, you may feel like you're the loneliest person in the world, but somebody out there, some poet gets you. Yeah. And well, that's let's, a wonderful so let's thing. hear this poem. Okay. It's a little bit long. Um, it's called um, Dedications, and it was the par- part of a longer series yeah, of poems. you know, I actually got the book out of the library that it's from called An Atlas of the Difficult mm-hmm. World. 
which exactly. I just love that title it's right sure, there. Yeah. Grab the me. world is so sure difficult. So this is, I think, the the final poem in the series of this, right? Of mm-hmm. or it's or one section of it. Yes, just yeah, one small section. Right. right. Okay. And What's the only reason I chose it is because I'm reading a biography about her. Oh, wonderful! She's one of the first poets I ever knew. I was uh, as a young girl, I was looking for female writers back mm-hmm. in the '60s and '70s. There weren't that many yeah. that we learned about in school. It's different now. Yeah. So she was one of the first names I ever. Oh, she's wonderful. So I'm fascinated by her life and definitely by her talent. All right. So okay. tell us the name of this one again. Um, dedications. I know you are reading this poem late, before leaving your office, of the one intense yellow lamp spot and the darkening window and the lassitude of a building faded to a quiet long after rush hour. I know you are reading this poem standing up in a bookstore far from the ocean on a gray day, gray day of early spring, faint flakes driven across the plains, enormous spaces around you. I know you're reading this poem in a room where too much has happened for you to bear, where the bedclothes lie in stagnant coils on the bed and the open valise speaks of flight, but you cannot leave yet. I know you're reading this poem as the underground train loses momentum and before running up the stairs toward a new kind of love your life has never allowed. I know you are reading this poem by the light of the television screen where soundless images jerk and slide while you wait for the newscast from the intifada. I know you are reading this poem in a waiting room of eyes met and unmeeting, of identity with strangers. I know you're reading this poem by fluorescent light in the boredom and fatigue of the young age who are counted out, count themselves out, at too early an age. I know you are reading this poem through your failing sight, the thick lenses enlarging these letters beyond all meaning, yet you read on because even the alphabet is precious. I know you are reading this poem as you pace beside the stove, warming milk, a crying child on your shoulder, a book in your hand, because life is short and you too are thirsty. I know you are reading this poem which is not in your language, guessing at some words while others keep you reading, and I want to know which words they are. I know you are reading this poem listening for something torn between bitterness and hope, turning back once again to the task you cannot refuse. I know you're reading this poem because there's nothing else left to read there where you have landed, stripped as you are. Another wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's just like an onslaught of images and words and feeling you know I, I some of the images in it really grabbed me which which ones grab you in this book? oh I so wish I could hear her reading I know that this. would be great well the one that that grabbed me you know I am a teacher uh, right now I, I substitute teach but I've taught high school and college often mm-hmm. in a whole variety of settings I love being with youth with young people and near the two-thirds of the way through I know you're reading this poem by fluorescent light you know, I'm thinking of somebody in a school, in the boredom and fatigue of the young who are counted out, who count themselves out at too early an age. It just breaks my heart to mm-hmm. run into a, any person of any age, but especially a young person who's feeling hopeless for whatever reason, who's yeah. had too many hard knocks at, at such a young age and doesn't doesn't have a support system, wants to figure out how to cope. Yeah. And maybe doesn't think 
about the potential that they have at that moment. And that's our job as teachers to help them see that, of yeah. course. And so, I love right after that when she says, um, I know you are reading this poem through your failing yeah, sight. Yeah, right. The thick lens enlarging these letters beyond all meaning, yet you read on. Yes. Because this is my favorite part. Even the alphabet is precious. Yes. I love yes, that. Exactly. You know, um, aging um, is not fun, but you and yeah. I are dealing with it. And, I know. Um, and we know people who are at all stages and all. Oh. oh, I know. And when, at, when after you read it, and when I was reading it on the page and thinking mm -hmm. about us being together, um, the fact that she came to the place of, at the end, um, saying, you are reading this poem, listening for something torn between bitterness and hope. Mm -hmm. and um, That's the other one that jumped out. That's yeah. where I think we are as a nation. That's why it fits our inauguration hopeful theme. Yes. Bitter, we have to be hopeful. Of course we are. But there's... There's some lingering concerns because of all the pain we've been <laughs> yeah. through. And let she me gets read, that. Let me read something in response. Yes. Very, it's oh, a good. short poem, and it's by the poet Maxine Cuman. Oh, I love her. And I love this title. The book is called, and it's the title poem of the book, Our Ground Time Here Will Be Brief. Blue landing lights make nail holes in the dark. A fine snow falls. We sit on the tarmac, taking on the mail, quick freight, Trays of laboratory mice, coffee, and Danish for the passengers. Wherever we're going is Monday morning. Wherever we're coming from is mother's lap. Mm. On the cloud pack above, strewn as loosely as parsnip or celery seeds, lie the souls of the unborn. My children's children's children and their father. We gather speed for the last run and lift off into the weather. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Hi, this is Lisa Vihos, and you're listening to Poetry on Air. And our guest today is Nanette Boulabash. And we're, um, we're going to continue with looking at some poetry that Nanette brought with her today, poems that have been inspirational to her. Uh, that have had meaning right now in her life and and sharing that with us. And I wanted to, though, launch us off in this section with something I found on the website of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill because it relates exactly to the next batch of poems that Nanette's going to share. And on their website, they in this poetry section, they say, In today's tumultuous world, poetry has a valuable place for recording sentiments and feelings, events and reactions. For centuries, leaders throughout the world have turned to poetry for solace and a call to action. And um, I think that's a good lead-in. Tell us the next poem that you're going to share, Nanette. Yes, it is called The Cure at Troy by Seamus Heaney. Um, it's Irish. Um, Joe Biden seems to have memorized it because he quotes it often. And they say, um, here's a quote from him that he, he gave a news reporter recently. My colleagues always kid me about quoting Irish poets all the time. They think I do it because I'm Irish, Joe Biden says. He says, no, I do it because they're the best poets. And I think that's true. That's wonderful. I think, yeah, this is just a wonderful one. You can understand why he likes it. 
He didn't quote it at his um, inauguration. We heard from another poet. Which Who we're going to hear from later, thanks yes, to you. But, pretty right. spectacular. But it was um, quoted by an actor that night at his inauguration ceremony, and I believe he quoted at least part of it um, when he accepted the nomination. Um, and you can just, it's, I just I just love it. Yeah, I just love it. share it. The Cure Troy. Human beings suffer. They torture one another. They get hurt and get hard. No poem or play or song can fully right a wrong inflicted and endured. History says, don't hope on this side of the grave. But then, once in a lifetime, the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. So hope for a great sea change on the far side of revenge. Believe that a further shore is reachable from here. Believe in miracles and cures and healing wells. Call miracles self-healing, the utter self-revealing double-take of feeling. If there's fire on the mountain and lightning and storm and a god speaks from the sky, that means someone is hearing the outcry and the birth cry of new life at its term. It means once in a lifetime that justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. I love that. Oh, that is what a, what a beautiful way to phrase when hope and history rhyme. Yeah. Yeah. Like what it, what does that mean to you? What do you hear? What do you think when you hear when you hear those words? I think it's you know my favorite um, leaders of the world are people who can who do understand do appreciate the beauty of language. Um, you know, Obama is always quoting writers. Um, uh, John F. Kennedy. You know, back back in the day when mm -hmm. he went to Harvard and Robert Kennedy's brother, they mm -hmm. they had to memorize poems. And we had a state poet laureate, your friend, Susan Blazer, is it? Oh, Kimberly Blazer. Kimberly Blazer. Yes. She had that project where we all had to memorize a poem. That was so a cool the idea of hope and history. And it also, um, you know, you and I both have been involved in politics. And mm. um, there's a saying, what is it? Um, Campaigns are done in poetry, but governments, the real work of government is done in prose. Well, I think good government can be done in poetry, too. Interesting. You know, I really do. So I do see that history and, and, and beautiful use of language, which, of course, leads to, you know, helps you articulate, helps you discover beautiful ideas, yeah. the very ideas that we're going to need to make it to the next generation and get this country going. Exactly. Well, I mean, hope, you know, there's, there's a lot of... Um, weight in the word hope mm -hmm. um you know and, and speaking of obama i mean the audacity of hope yes you know people yes, can get yes um yes can get you know feisty about hope hope is too that's too wishy you know it's too um woo woo or something you know like i mean people can criticize hopefulness but not me i mean i love no hope. right I think that's hope is, that's exactly is, and amazing and we we need hope but we also need hope together with action mm. um i think mm -hmm. it was Maybe Rebecca Solnit talks about that, yes. that if you only have hope, you may not get anything done. You're hoping all the right. time. If you only have action without that sort of the hopeful piece, then you're just kind of charging forward without without any right. um, spirit, without it's, any, yeah. you know, 
of those the good things that that keep it moving. I I wanted to um, I have a couple possible. I might even read both because they're kind of short. Oh, I hope so. Um, one is a poem. So on this theme of from from that quote that I read from University of North Carolina, where they mentioned that um, that leaders have used have have turned to poetry for solace mm-hmm. and a call to action. Mm-hmm. And when I, as soon as I saw that word solace, I thought of the poem Invictus. Yes, that oh, yeah. Nelson Mandela. Yeah is apparently read or had had memorized and recited it to himself every day for 27 he was, years yeah, he in, was in, in prison. prison wow and i thought let's read invictus so i'm going to read that one um and it's by an english poet from who was born in 1875 mm-hmm. um william ernest henley and he died in 1903 so interesting that you know here we here we have a victorian poet and it was read by, by a man in prison in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And anyway, Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloodied, but not unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. Mm. I am the captain of my soul. Wow. It's so beautiful. And I learned, I mean, you maybe you know this, but I didn't, Invictus means in Latin, unconquerable, undefeated. Mm. Wow. So so you can understand why Nelson Mandela, why he'd be drawn to that. Yeah, and definitely. how when you are in a place where you have no choices, you are locked up, literally. Yeah. But to him, to think about him, he, he is still the captain of his soul. Yeah. He still has choices. Right. You, he you can, have a, the choice. I mean, no matter how difficult and terrible things are you yeah. I mean it's hard to imagine from my sort of privileged place right. what would that be like to yes. be in, would, would a poem really help me but maybe it would be it might you yes. know it might because the words would the words almost take on a magical power at that point but it's interesting to think about how powerful they could be in a Absolutely. situation like that right um, the other hope poem that I thought um, I think I'll squeeze in for us is Emily Dickinson. Mm. Do you know hope is the thing with feathers? Yes, yes. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. Hmm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, strangest sea yet never in extremity, it asked a crumb of me. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> she Hope was amazing. She's writing these poems in her bedroom. Yes. And every thought, but he thought in, she was a recluse. Right, and... basically, right, in uh, like isolation, kind of like we mm-hmm. all are right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or have been the past <laughs> oh, year. Yeah. Another but... reason to like Emily Dickinson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh, my so gosh. Hope. We're all Emily Dickinson. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Never thought of that. Well, and 
I know that you, and I mean, if we can, we could keep moving because I want to make sure we, we get to get in the, the last poem that you mm -hmm. brought, which also is a little long-ish, isn't it? Maybe a little just, bit. It's longer in. than the last yeah, one. We're good. You, you sure? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. So, um, well, you know, the new rising star is Amanda Gorman, this oh. beautiful young woman from who's 22 years old who read at um, our new president's um, inauguration. I believe she's going to, we're, we're, we're taping this before the Super Bowl. I think she was invited to actually read a poem at the Super Bowl. I think you're right. So she's inspiring young people to think about writing or speaking or reading poetry. That's pretty awesome. So she's a wonderful ambassador, as you are, as oh. our city's poet laureate. <laughs> Very you. important role. So I, I'm not going to pretend to read her the poem she read. That was pretty awesome. But here's another one that has a similar theme about new beginnings. I think she read it at a professor's inauguration or like I a think so. something like that. I think I she read it and that. it's in her published now she she's actually published a poem yeah. book, a poetry book. Very, she's she's really a oh, rising man. star, but and so well deserved because she's yes. pretty amazing. And so. you can understand why. So this is called The Miracle of Morning. And it's just hard not to get um, persuaded by okay, her beautiful feelings. And she wrote this right at the beginning of the pandemic. So imagine, you know, she's, she's referencing the pandemic during this when, when we were all feeling yeah. like what's going on and not knowing how long it would last. And okay. Here we are. All right. I thought I'd awaken to a world in mourning, heavy clouds crowding, a society storming, but there's something different on this golden morning. Something magical in the sunlight, wide and warming. I see a dad with a stroller taking a jog. Across the street, a bright-eyed girl chases her dog. A grandma on a porch fingers her rosaries. She grins as her young neighbor brings her groceries. While we might feel small, separate, and all alone, our people have never been more closely tethered. The question isn't if we can weather this unknown, but how we will weather this unknown together. So on this meaningful morn, we mourn and we mend. Like light, we can't be broken even when we bend. As one, we will defeat both despair and disease. We stand with healthcare heroes and all employees, with families, libraries, waiters, schools, artists, businesses, restaurants, and hospitals hit hardest. We ignite not in the light, but in lack thereof. For it is in loss that we truly learn to love. In this chaos, we will discover clarity. In suffering, we must find solidarity. For it's our grief that gives our gratitude, shows us how to find hope if we ever lose it. So ensure that this ache wasn't endured in vain. Do not ignore the pain. Give it purpose. Use it. Read children's books. Dance along to DJ music. Know that this distance will make our hearts grow fonder. From these waves of woes, our world will emerge stronger. We'll observe how the burdens braved by humankind are also the moments that make us humans kind. Let each morning find us courageous, brought closer, heeding the light before the fight is over. When this ends, we'll smile sweetly, finally seeing in testing times we became the best of beings. Mm. The best of beings yeah. in testing times. Oh, I love that. So she can be optimistic given the world her elders have created for her <laughs> with all its flaws. I think the least we can do is be hopeful as well. Follow, 
follow the cue there. Yeah. yeah. When she's, what was the line about when love, um, something about loss and love. And yes, it's that? only by loss that we fully appreciate. What is it? For it is in loss that we truly learn to love. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And uh, also there was a moment earlier in the poem where she was talking. I don't have a written version in front of me, but she was talking about uh, light bending. Like mm -hmm. that we, we bend but don't break. Just like light. Just like light. Yeah, that like was... light, we can't be broken even when we bend. Rich kind of hearkened me back to Invictus in a yes. way. You know, the same yes. feeling of, you know, I'm not going to break. I'm not going to break. We're the... Even yeah. if the world appears to be wanting me to, wow. <laughs> with things that go wrong yeah. in all our lives. It's been a great pleasure having you here today oh, to raise up all wonderful. these wonderful words. Thank Congratulations you. on yeah. your show. I'm a fan of uh, poetry, but I'm a fan of yours, Lisa. Oh, thank, thank you for all you're yeah. doing to share share the beauty and strength and power of poetry. The feeling is mutual. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You have been listening to Poetry on Air, hosted by Sheboygan's Poet Laureate, Lisa Vihos. Questions or comments can be directed to Lisa at poetlaureatesheboygan at gmail.com. Poetry on Air is produced in the studios at Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. More information on the web at meadpl.org.